This is uh, episode five of the rebooted Red Reporter Podcast 2019 edition. Um, I'm Wick, your host for this uh, this generation of Red Reporter Podcasting, I guess. Uh, we're coming to you on the evening of yet another off day, Thursday, uh, June 13th, 2019. Uh, the Reds just wrapped their, their two-game stretch in uh, Cleveland, doing their predictable uh, pattern of win one, lose one, outscore through the series, and walk away no further up in the standings uh, than you wanted them to be. Although, it's worth mentioning that the Pittsburgh Pirates did lose last night, which means technically speaking, the Cincinnati Reds are not in last place today. They are in fourth place in the National League Central, which uh, pop bottles, uh, throw a party, whatever. Uh, it's been a long damn time since the Reds haven't been last. Um Anyway, we got a couple great guests on tonight. We've got uh, uh, Tony Wolf joining us from Morgantown, West Virginia. Tony, what's going on tonight, buddy? I'm doing great, Wick. How are you? I'm good, and it's worth uh, worth mentioning that Tony has been sitting on some some great news for the last couple months, waiting to get things started. But apparently, it's official that we can talk about uh, that. Tony is going to be a contributor for Fangraphs.com, and we are uh, we are super proud and super happy for Tony. So. Congrats, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm very excited to uh, to write about teams who aren't the Reds, in addition to uh, all of the uh, Red reporting that I've been doing over the over the past <laughs> few years. Well, you get to find out that there are at least 28 other teams that aren't going to win the World Series this year, along with the Reds. So yes. uh, <laughs> you can spread that disappointment around for, for some of the other guys, right? Yeah, I, I found myself, like, over the past couple of weeks when I was, like, looking for – when I was trying to think of story ideas, I was like looking through like the Orioles, uh, like t- roster for guys, and like the Marlins. And I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? Why I can allowed <laughs> to write about good teams and like good players, uh, people who are having success. I it's uh, it's a weird Stockholm syndrome thing that uh, the Reds have uh, have boxed me into, but I I'm I I'm still very excited. I will write about all of the. Uh, all of the bad teams that I that I please now. No, for for sure, it's funny. I, the first thing that it, I came to my mind when you mentioned that was when we got to write about this massive, massive Los Angeles Dodgers and Cincinnati Reds trade over the winter, um, and not just breaking down all of the big, big names involved, but uh, from our perspective, having to actually factor in what the hell the luxury tax was for the first time, because that's nothing that has played a part in any Cincinnati Reds transaction since the damn thing got put into place. But then you look up and realize, oh yeah, there are some teams out there that actually have to worry about spending $230 million every year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, we're excited for you. Can't wait to, uh, to see, uh, see how Fangraph shakes out for you. So congrats, buddy. Um, also joining us uh, from East Virginia, uh, we've got the Arkansas Reds fan, Mitchell Clark. Mitch, what's going on, buddy? Oh, not much. Uh, things are going well here. The Reds are not in fifth place, uh, so that's always a reason to celebrate. Arkansas is back in the College World Series, uh, ready to deliver me another soul-crushing loss, so just waiting on that to happen again. Um, but yeah, things are great over here. Glad to be back on the podcast uh, after like a little month hiatus from it. 
Yeah, for sure. No, the College World Series is, is about to get started, and, and that's um, one of my favorite events to watch every year, for sure. And, uh, you know, it's <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's some parallel that I'm just now figuring out, and that normally this time over the last five years, the Reds have been so far out of the discussion that watching any sort of baseball that doesn't make me sad about watching big league baseball uh, brings a little bit of joy. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Vanderbilt grad, and I love watching the Doors play as well. And uh, it's good to see another SEC team, another, a former SEC powerhouse in Arkansas as well, uh, back in the uh, the big dance uh, in that regard, too, because they've got a hella talented team this year. So it should be fun. I'm looking forward to seeing that as well. well yeah, it's exciting. Um, uh, you know. how, how neat was it uh, watching Kumar freaking Rocker uh, pitch, like, the game of the year in a, like, super regional game the other day? What was that, 19 strikeout, no hitter? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Oh, it's absurd. It's absurd. And, you know, of course, the Reds have been um, very, very pro-Commodore. I keep waiting for the phone call asking to bring me in in some regard, which obviously isn't going to fucking happen. Um, but with Derek Johnson and Caleb Gottam and uh, Kirk Casale and Sonny Gray all around as well, it's uh, there's a, a, a huge uh, door presence with the Reds right now. And so it's cool to see that they've got um, uh, another team going for them uh, as well this year. But yeah, if you guys are tuning in, if you haven't had any experience watching the College World Series before and you've purely been a baseball fan through the Reds or the big leagues, uh, check it out. It's going to be on ESPN up and down all the way through the Ocho, I believe, for the next couple of weeks. So uh, tune in, check it out, because there are some super, super fun games to see when, uh, when all those teams get going in, in Omaha. Yeah, and they're actually doing uh, something different this year. I think the Royals and Tigers are playing in Omaha before the whole thing gets started, maybe Friday night before the first game's on Saturday. Yeah, so I think that's uh, pretty cool. I think you're right. And actually, I noticed that uh, Alex Gordon, was, uh, who is a Nebraska product, uh, is unfortunately not in the starting lineup for that first game because he got hit by a pitch in his most recent game, which is kind of a bummer because he's kind of one of the better players to ever come out of the state of Nebraska. But um, it's cool, much like they did that game in, uh, in Williamsport. Uh, prior to the uh, the Little League World Series, uh, I think it's a cool way of Major League Baseball kind of branching out and something that's good to see and, and should be a really good event as well. Speaking of college baseball, um, I guess three players who are no longer going to be a part, well, one who will no longer be a part and two who never will be, uh, are the Reds' first three draft picks, all of which they picked last week. Um they selected Texas Christian University left-handed pitcher Nick Modelo, number seven overall. Um, Florida high school shortstop slash third baseman slash six four bundle of dinger honking power uh, Reese Hines, uh, who's a Louisiana State University commitment. Um, and then in the third round, they took Tyler Callahan, who was committed to the University of South Carolina. Um, they managed to get all three of those players signed. And, and given the way that draft bonus pool structure works and you've got a fixed amount of, no of money you're allowed to spend uh, across your any of your top 10 picks, um, there's always some uh, some interesting finagling going on with you know drafting good college players with your first pick, but who also you might be able to sign for uh, a million or two million bucks cheaper than the pool allotment. Uh, and then you can kind of roll that into signing a, a second or third round pick who's a touted high school player, but is going to require a, a ton more money than his slot bonus suggests to be able to forego their commitment to college. Um, 
Well, the Reds' ability to get both Hines and Callahan signed while also giving Lodello the full bonus, I think, is a pretty good, uh, pretty good testament to what, how well they scouted these players and how um, how much they knew about them before the draft. Because that was a pretty tight rope to walk to get all three of those top picks signed. Um, it, it's a strategy the Reds have done a lot of in previous years. Um, you know, last year specifically, uh, they signed Jonathan India to slightly underslide at number five overall and rolled that money into their fourth round pick and Mike Ciani, who they signed, uh, I think, to almost a full $2 million bonus uh, to keep him from not joining ARF in Charlottesville, I believe. Um, uh, and then obviously uh, uh, three years back, they, they did the same thing with Nick Sinzel and signed him for a little bit under slot value and rolled almost all of that, if not more uh, savings-wise, into signing Taylor, uh, Taylor Trammell, who they drafted in the comp round in like 32 or 33 overall. Um, it's been a cool strategy for the Reds because they've managed to get – good high-end college product talent, but still be able to afford to sign some of the better, higher-rated, uh, you know, higher-ceiling high school kids uh, uh, later on down the road. Um, what are your all's thoughts on this particular round of doing that? And, and if you have any insights or thoughts on the three guys that they've, they've signed and locked down to start the, uh, 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 the draft signing process. Uh, Arf, what do you think, man? Um, yeah, you know, I, I do like the strategy just because of some of the guys they've gotten this, you know, you mentioned Taylor Trammell. Uh, he's obviously one of the top prospects in baseball because they were able to draft a guy like Sinzel and sign him for a little bit cheaper to be able to spend, spend the money on Trammell. So, you know, that strategy playing out this round, uh, you know, uh, with Callahan, you know, he was, I guess, regarded one of the better high school, all around high school bats in, uh, in the draft, and so being able to lock him up and uh, keep him out of college was was a good thing. So I'm pretty excited about him. And then, you know, with Reese Hines, um, you know, anytime you can get a player onto your favorite team and away from someone who's going to be mashing dingers in the SEC, not playing for Arkansas, it is a good thing. So uh, <laughs> you know, he's, I think, from what it sounds like, he's going to be a little bit more of a project because um, he does have the power, but the discipline and um, and all of that is going to take some time to get worked out, but, um, you know, it's also good that he's going to be doing that in the red system. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about both of those guys being able to get locked down. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, uh, I- Tony, you might get into this a little bit as well, but I think it's also worth kind of emphasizing that this is an example of um, players drafted in the second and third round in Major League Baseball draft versus the second and third round of like the NFL draft or the NBA draft, I guess only the second round of the NBA draft. Uh, It doesn't mean the same thing because when teams have those fixed slot amounts uh, and fixed bonus pools to be able to spend uh, on all of their top 10 draftees or any player that signs for over 125,000, and beyond round 10, um, they really have to think about the entire draft class as a whole. And so uh, oftentimes you see some of these really, really talented uh, high school players that have these commitments to powerhouse college programs. Uh, You know it's going to take a hell of a lot more than um, what the the base is for them to sign because – they want to go have the college experience and they know that they have confidence in themselves to be good enough three years down the road to still land uh, as good, if not a better of a bonus. And so it takes a, a lot of navigation and a lot of knowledge on teams parts to be able to know 
hey, guys like Hines and Callahan, if, if slot value was no issue and teams had enough money to throw at all these guys, they might have gone 20th, 24th, 18th overall in terms of overall talent. Uh, but they got to be patient and wait to hope those guys are still there down the road uh, and to land those two kinds of talents and still be able to sign your your top-tier college guy in the first round. It, it takes a very tight rope of walking. Um, Tony, what do you think about all that? Yeah, I mean, it's I, I definitely feel for guys like uh, – T.J. Hopkins and Jake Stevenson, who uh, have who were their slot value of their picks in the ninth and tenth rounds, were uh, around one hundred fifty thousand. They signed for seventeen thousand and seven thousand, respectively, on their signing bonuses. Uh, it, it, it's certainly a bummer for some of those guys who don't have as much uh, leverage when it comes to uh, negotiating their uh, deals with with these big league teams. But yeah, it's it, you know out of <laughs> yeah, we can play. We, we play armchair GM with some of these teams a lot, but I think with the, one of the things that I do not envy at all about being a, uh, a general manager, about being someone who's trying to make these kinds of big personnel decisions, is having to figure out this puzzle of where to lay out your, uh, your bonus pool uh, money. You know, I mean, just, just a couple of years ago, we dealt with the whole hunter green thing that came down to the last hour basically uh that that he was uh able to sign with the team and that that ended up breaking you know it ended up being a record-breaking deal but we were all it got to the point where we were were kind of kind of worried where about whether or not the reds were actually going to sign their number two overall pick and uh so this the way the the bonus pool, uh, you know, values have, or the the whole bonus pool system has has worked out has been uh, very interesting to see how teams try to navigate that. I one thing that I thought was interesting about the the way the Reds draft worked out at the very top at least was just the uh, the amount of risk that they sort of took on uh, at the very top as far as the uh, high end talent they drafted. You know, getting getting three. Uh, top 42 uh, ranked draft prospects, according to MLB.com, uh, in your first three rounds. Uh, that's a very big deal. That's something that they should be commended on. Uh, but you know, Nick Lodolo is a you know, he he seems he seems like a pretty safe bet as far as pitchers go. But he's still a pitcher, and uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that can be scary, especially with this team's uh, track record recently of drafting pitchers in the first round and then uh you know more specifically Reese Hines and Tyler Callahan to other guys who have signed recently uh they're both kind of similar in that they're the Reds drafted them for their bats you know they neither one I I don't I don't think has been described as particularly athletic not you know, uh, defensively pretty- gifted uh they're bats you know that Positionless is like the the, the word that I've heard yeah, describing yeah, their defense. Exactly. Yeah, you know, Reese Hines especially is you know you hear a lot of Joey Gallo comps and uh, with Tyler Callahan he's you know to a bit lesser extent uh, is kind of a a big guy that some people think are gonna is gonna maybe work out as a third baseman or some kind of corner infielder but. You know, as long as the bat plays, you know, it, it'll all work out. So 
it, it was very interesting to see the Reds, you know, deviate a little bit from that uh, approach of going out and getting really great athletes like they did with uh, Taylor Trammell, with Stuart uh, Fairchild. Uh, some of these guys in past years that are just like very, uh, very you know, fast, very uh, defensively. Mike, uh, Mike Ciani uh, comes to mind. Also, uh, guys who have a lot of a lot of tools and are very exciting in many different ways. Uh, this year, the Reds seem to just kind of key in on on just the bats and what what they they believe the offensive ceiling was for some of these guys, and uh, just kind of hope the their uh, defensive prowess would take care of itself in the future. Yeah, you, you hope that one and eight start to the season when the Reds scored like negative four runs didn't really play into all that. But uh, no, it, it's interesting to see. I, I hadn't really thought of it like that, but you're totally making a good point because you look at some of the younger overslot guys they've gone with in recent years. Um, I mean, heck, even if you factor in TJ Friedel in that regard, yeah. uh, who, who went undrafted and the Reds got him because they still had $800,000 left over to sign him. Um, he was a college guy, but still a very athletic he can play defense. Let's hope he can hit, kind of guy. Uh, it was, seems to be the very much inverse of that uh, with what they went with this year. There's no doubt about that. And uh, it's also worth noting uh, the, the kind of the flip side of this when teams try this strategy and it doesn't work out. Uh, Nick Lodolo was the uh, the highest drafted player in the 2016 draft uh, out of high school. I think he went 41st or 42nd overall uh, to the Pirates who took a, a flyer on a high school kid that late in the draft, knowing it was going to take a couple million bucks to sign him. Uh, they didn't get him signed. So Ladella went to TCU and came back three years later and got his $5.5 million signing bonus from the Reds as the uh, uh, the steady high floor pick this time around. So um, it certainly does work both ways. And you obviously mentioned those guys in the ninth and 10th round who were signing for seventeen grand. Uh, that's the risk you take as you go back as a, a college senior because – you can't go back as a college fifth-year senior and redo it again and hope you improve. Uh, when you come out at that point, there's there's no leverage on the player's part. And, you know, we've certainly seen uh, front and center with Nick Senzel to start this season how much there is a business to all of uh, this baseball that we talk about. And uh, that 100% permeates the draft. I mean, you see the teams spending money with their flex as much as they possibly can, as much as they're just spending it to spend it. Uh, they're spending it where they can and using all the loopholes they possibly can to pull it off. Um, this this time, at least, it sounds like the Reds are uh, getting the benefit of the doubt on it, and that's uh, I guess that's a good thing for the franchise long term. So um, I guess moving on, uh, we found out post-draft that some of these new uh, – uh, Reds draftees are going to be sent out to be playing on the professional level. Um, short season Billings and short season Greenville, uh, who the Reds picked up as an affiliate last year um, in the Appalachian League, are both have set to get started, uh, I believe, maybe this weekend. Is that right? Yeah, I think Greenville starts tomorrow, maybe. Yeah. And I think Billings I, starts Monday. Or maybe, I may have those flipped. But one, I, of, one of the team starts this weekend yeah i think i think it might actually be billing starting tomorrow okay um because they're the ones who announced their actual roster um so yeah all these all these players that are getting signed the sooner the reds can sign them and let's be honest uh the fact that they got those three guys signed as quickly as they did uh that means they're gonna have i, I say full it's gonna be full short season ball as rookies this year which Oh, we, we talked about Hunter Green, whose signing went all the way down to the wire. Uh, he kind of missed out on on having that first half season of 
of baseball. Uh, these guys are going to be on rosters soon and get to get to playing. Um, the Billings roster got announced uh, earlier tonight, and while none of these three currently are on there, there's a decent chance they could get bumped up there in the coming days since their signings just became final. Uh, but there is one particular name of note up there that uh, is a name that Reds fans will clearly remember, um, but haven't thought about in a long time, probably. Um, but in the long Reds history of drafting players named Nick uh, with their first round picks, uh, Nick Travieso, who has been sidelined since 2016 uh, with a bum shoulder and multiple surgeries, uh, is on the Billings roster to start. And it sounds like he's actually legitimately going to be out there on rehab assignment. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on seeing Nick Travieso pop back up in the uh, the Reds baseball lexicon for the first time in forever? Uh, Tony, what do you think? Yeah, Nick Travieso is somebody that I have not thought about in such a long time. I mean, he, ha- he hasn't pitched since 2016. It's been so long since we've even gotten to see what he has to offer, and he's 25 now. Like, I imagine he's he can't be in Billings for that long uh, if he, I, you know, I imagine this is basically just a, a sort of a dry run of can he throw it over the plate and get guys out, and then we'll move him to uh, Daytona or something like that. You know, I at least that's sort of what I would expect with someone of his age and his pedigree. But, you know, you never know, I guess. He, he's, been, he's been out for a long time. He's dealt with uh, various injuries and complications over the past uh, several years now. And, uh, yeah, it, it was very – it was startling. It was startling to see him uh, <laughs> on the same – uh, on the same roster as someone the Reds drafted in like the tenth round just a few days ago, but uh, yeah, that's where that's where he is with his career, and I certainly uh, hope for the best for him. Uh, not just as you know, someone who likes to see people in the Reds organization succeed, but also as someone who uh, can can only imagine uh, what being a former first round pick. Uh, who a whole seven years later has not pitched above double A, uh, how how weird and bad that must feel. So I hope Nick gets things going here soon. Yeah, now he gets to be a uh, uh, grandpapa in Billings, Montana with a bunch of teenagers for a couple weeks. And, um, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's one of those scenarios where I think the Reds have obviously seen him throw on the side and throw bullpens to the point where they know that he can throw – whether it's 91 or 94 or whatever the hell it is anymore on his first couple pitches, but they have no idea what's going to happen when he hits pitch 21 or 32, or if he can even get that far and whether or not it drops to 80 or if he gets pain again. So this is one big experiment. Um, And yeah, it's certainly nice to see him pop back up on the radar because it's been so damn long. Uh, And he was a first round pick. And if you want to, you can go back and look at, some of the other names selected in that first round and, 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 and penalize yourself for the Reds not having some of the other names they could have had. Uh, but the fact of the matter was he was a pretty good prospect. He was never a great prospect, but he had some success in the, the mid and up and minors before shoulder injuries really, really derailed him. And, you know, while he's 25 and not what he once was, clearly there is still that slight chance that something can be made of him down the road. And this will be our first chance to really, find out whether they still got anything else left. Um, Arf, what do you think? 
Yeah, you know, that's – I always kind of, like, become fans of guys like that. Like, you just want to see them succeed because, like, yeah, they had these high hopes of, you know, first-round draft pick. Like, you're supposed to be – seven years after you're drafted, you're supposed to be in the big leagues by now, and you're in rookie ball. Um, so, yeah, it, it'll be – I'm interested to kind of see how that goes with him and see where he ends up in the next couple of weeks if he is – like you said, able to get 20 pitches into a game without having pain or without his velocity dropping off. And he's actually able, hopefully able to get guys who were just playing high school or college ball out at this point, even though he hadn't thrown in two years. Um, speaking of first rounders named Nick, um, you know, who are pitching in rookie ball, I was looking up as you guys were talking, uh, Nick Howard. Uh, he's gotten lit up in Chattanooga again, but he is going to be on the Greenville Reds roster. So uh, we have there you, two there you go. first rounders <laughs> uh, pitching in rookie ball right now. So um, I hope Nick Lodolo isn't looking at that and uh, <laughs> thinking like, uh, is this the right place to be? But no, it, obviously different situations. Uh, injuries kind of derailed both of those guys. Um, so, yeah, you know, I've, I've always also kind of been a Nick Howard stand, just hoping that he could uh, come back and do something. You know, every time I do the farmers only, I'm like, oh, well, Nick Howard got three guys out without giving up two runs this time. So, uh, maybe there's something there. But, uh, uh, so, yeah. No, no, for sure. I mean, and obviously it's not a, a one for one at all because uh, the other one didn't have injuries at all. But, you know, at 26 years old, we've finally seen something from Robert Stevenson this year. And I say that as he's on the 10 day IL right now. Uh, but he was a guy who was, for all the, the world, the top pitching prospect in the red system and then just wasn't and kept failing and failing and failing and finally got to a point in his career where things started to click a little bit. And so hopefully that's something that these two guys can go through as well. Um, you know, it's, it's deep, dark times in, in recent Cincinnati Reds history. Uh, but even guys like Asher Wojciechowski and Deck McGuire, who were top draft picks of other organizations uh, years and years and years ago, um, they stuck with it. And it took them until they were 27, 28, 29 years old. Uh, but they made they made the big leagues. They made the big league rosters, and they got guys out. And they weren't the best pitchers out there, but they were big leaguers. And that's something that you know I think we kind of forget about a lot of players and uh, and write them off as. Uh, failed first round draft picks, but these are baseball players through and through. And if they're still willing three years later, since the last time they threw a professional pitch uh, to head out to Billings and, and pitch in rookie ball, uh, that tells you a little bit about, about the guy. Uh, and so I'm, I'm hoping Travieso's got something left in some form or fashion or fixed his mechanics or, or found a new pitch. And we, we find out him uh, being one of these success stories down the road, but it's certainly one of those names where you look up and say, wait, wait, him. Is that the same guy? Um, so yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out uh, both with uh, Travieso in Billings and now apparently with Nick Howard down in Greenville as well. So um, speaking of injured pitchers uh, and injured players, Altogether, uh, another storyline that's really starting to uh, pick up steam in part because they're knock on wood both getting healthy, uh, but in part because the the one true trade deadline of the 2019 season is all of what uh, six weeks away. Um, Alex Wood and Scooter Jeanette are two of the higher profile Reds that we've not seen yet this year. Uh, Wood obviously due to a back injury and Scooter due to a groin injury he suffered in spring training. Um, but these are both guys who in the last couple of years have been very, very good 
relative to their competition at what they do. Um, Alex Wood being a left-handed pitcher, uh, starring for the Dodgers at times, and Scooter Jeanette obviously being just one of the better second basemen uh, in the la- all of baseball over the last two seasons. Um, both appear to be, knock on wood, getting closer to being able to contribute to the Reds. Uh, we found out yesterday Scooter is off to Arizona uh, to the Goodyear Complex to have begin playing in whether it's uh, Arizona Reds league games or instructional league games or control games, um, he's going to be baseballing when he wakes up in the morning every day uh, and not rehabbing anymore, which means what? Running the bases, uh, getting at bats, playing defense, and doing everything you expect from a guy who's uh, being paid to be a big league athlete right now. And it doesn't sound like Alex Wood is too far behind that, um, at least from a pitching and any role perspective. Um what are your thoughts on the return of these two guys, uh, Wood and Scooter Jeanette, and what the heck the Reds are going to do uh, to fit them in on this roster, and whether or not uh, that's going to make more problems than the Reds need to have at this juncture? Um, Arf, what do you think, man? Um, yeah, if you would have asked me the Alex Wood question like two weeks ago, I would have said, like, well, let's stretch him out and put him in the rotation because Anthony DiSclefani is not getting it done. Um, and then he goes out against the Cardinals and the Indians and gives up a run in each of those two starts, um, especially in St. Louis where he gave up only one run and walked one and struck out seven. Uh, so it, hopefully he's kind of figuring things out, um, but he's had a pretty up-and-down season. Um, I think you know, with someone dealing with low back pain and having those setbacks, you don't just toss him out there in the rotation trying to get six or seven innings from him right off the bat. So if it's something that you kind of stretch him out in the bullpen as the season goes on, and then if Di Scalfani starts getting lit up or something else happens, then you can say like, all right, well, he's going to be ready, but you have a solid left-handed bullpen piece in Alex Wood once he comes back, if you take that approach. Um, so I think it kind of with the way Disco's pitching right now, you hope you kind of have him being consistent and getting guys out more often that you can kind of keep the rotation as it is and use Alex Woods, that long man out of the bullpen in case something happens and guys get taken out early in the game. Um, and then it, in the case you need to make a change in rotation, you have, uh, you know, you have someone who's been a starter for a long time and would, uh, as far as scooter Jeanette goes, I have no clue what the Reds are going to do there. Uh, I was going to say, sorry, sorry to cut you off there, but let's 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 talk about Wood real quick while while we're on that because you made a really good point there, um, talking about Discofani having been kind of the weak link in this rotation um, and been good. And let's be honest, he's not been fantastic. But if we'd have had the Anthony Discofani we've had this year at any point, season uh, opener to season close the last three years. Um, we'd have been happy as hell to have him going every fifth day. Uh, it's just that kind of the rest of his peers seem to be pitching better uh, than he has, and he's looked a lot better the last couple starts. Um, two things to factor in here. Uh, we got one great start out of Lucas Sims when he got called up for that doubleheader a couple weeks ago. Uh, but aside from Sims, there isn't really any other pitcher at the AAA or AA level or pitcher on the 40-man roster who looks like they're knocking down the door to be the next addition and call up to the Cincinnati rotation. Um, uh, Tony Santillan's had a decent, but not great year at double a still isn't on the 40 man roster. Um, Tanner Rourke 
might be the single biggest Reds trade chip right now. He's uh, another guy who's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Um, I think my question and how I'm trying to phrase this is, uh, I think the Reds could sell high on Tanner Rourke in the next five weeks because he's a starting pitcher that any team out there would want to have somewhere on their rotation. Um and backfill with maybe Wood or maybe Lucas Sims, and at least on paper, uh, as the entire rotation shakes out, not lose a whole lot and still maybe cash in on one of their biggest chips. Um, I guess, Tony, I'll kick this your way. Uh, is the idea of stretching Alex Wood out until they trade Tanner Rourke and bringing him in to kind of be that mid-rotation starter something that sounds like the best move, or is that kind of a fantasy baseball move and you can't – hope that Wood's going to be ready or press him to be up there yeah, that early. Yeah, it is interesting how similar uh, Wood and Roark are just in terms of what you can probably count on from them at this point. You know, Roark has been uh, really good at limiting homers this year. Uh, he's striking out around a batter per inning, and he's uh, walking just over three batters per nine. And Alex Wood, if you get him back right now uh, or in the next couple of weeks, if you look at his, the just the kind of pitcher he's been over the past few years, he's a guy who strikes out about a batter per not a batter per inning and uh, keeps walks down and keeps dingers down quite a bit. So he and Roark are pretty uh, much the are pretty similar kinds of pitchers, uh, with the caveat that the Alex Wood is uh, obviously a lefty that the Reds still don't have in their rotation. Uh, at this point in the season, so it it it, it is interesting. Um, I guess it, it just depends again on where the Reds find themselves in the next couple of weeks, because as we've been saying for practically this whole year, you know they're 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 just one run away. <laughs> they're about you know they're they're they as as we mentioned at the top of the show, you know they're they're about uh, they're they're finally out of last place. They're up into fourth now. They're only three games behind the Cardinals uh, right now. They're uh, something like, uh, I think, eight behind the Brewers, I think. Uh, but, you know. But, but, I mean, with, it, with as many one-run losses as they've had, they're 12 runs away from being set five their games over 500. is 37-29. Like, that, like that's, <laughs> that's, you, know, you, you still kind of hedge and hedge and and look forward and say you know if the reds somehow rattle off like a 10 and 5 at some point out of 15 games they're in the hunt and uh then it becomes more of more a a little bit more clear to me that yeah you probably move uh anthony disclafani to uh the bullpen to make room for alex wood because uh, even though disclafani has pitched better recently he's still giving up a lot of homers and uh, so so it's a little bit. But, so. but that question there, though, with Alex Wood, uh, he's got experience in the bullpen. The Dodgers, back-to-back World Series losers the last couple of years, but still like the dominant force in National League Baseball, moved Alex Wood to the bullpen last year for their stretch run. Um, and obviously in his injury-filled earlier seasons, he pitched a lot from the bullpen as well. He's got experience there. If you're talking about the best 25-man roster to get the Reds through the end of the season and through 162, um, I look up and say, okay, is replacing Anthony DiScafani in three weeks with Alex Wood, who's unstretched out, untested, uh, still two pitches away from waking up with a bad back the next morning, and then you got to redo everything, uh, is that marginally better um, than 
putting Alex Wood in the bullpen and designating Zach Duke for assignment or sending Wandy Peralta back to the minors. Um, if Alex Wood's healthy, I, I think the Reds have to weigh, A, uh, the whole trade deadline scenario and whether or not they can get anything for him or whether or not they cash in on Rourke and have somebody competent enough to fill in for him. But also, B, uh, whether or not Alex Wood, who's set to be a, a free agent at, what, age 28, 29, uh, whether or not he's willing just to say, sure, for the better of the team that's in fourth place and five games under 500, I'll sit in the bullpen and pitch whenever you want me to, as opposed to showcasing my ability to be the best left-handed pitcher available in free agency this winter. Um, it's a it's a, it's a tenuous thing for them because uh, the way I think I look at it is the moment Alex Wood is healthy enough to throw 20 pitches every other day, he's the best lefty in the bullpen aside from Amir Garrett. And you've got two of the lefties that you're rolling out that aren't as good as Alex Wood. Maybe that's where he needs to be to maximize the best 25-man uh, roster. Um, but that's a really difficult conversation to have, A, because it doesn't do Wood any favors come free agency. B, it means you're not going to stretch him out on the quickest stretch-out pattern, which would happen if you just – let him rehab his way through triple uh, a. Um, but it also means that you're not necessarily looking at cashing on Rourke and you're giving him more chance to decrease his value or any of the other starters you might trade as well. Um, Arf, what do you think, man? You're, you're the, uh, uh, the PT specialist in all this. Uh, <laughs> how quickly do you think Wood can get back to being a competent big league pitcher? If that role happens to be a lefty out of the bullpen for the time being. Um, I mean, definitely quicker than if he was going to, if they were going to try and get him back in the rotation, um, you know, getting someone prepared to throw, like you said, 20 pitches every other day, that doesn't take near as much work as like, all right, we need you to throw five innings every five days and, or five or six innings and get you up to a hundred pitches at some point. Um, and especially with something that's as finicky as low back pain, it's not, you know, it's not like a, a hamstring or even like heaven forbid an arm injury where, you know, you're going based on like pain when he's throwing, like he could, he could throw those 20 pitches. And then the next morning, like you said, wake up and his back shot again. And then, you know, low back pain is just such a tricky thing to deal with. And especially with, you know, someone who's using as much force as Alex Wood does to throw a pitch multiple times a game. Um, it's something you do have to be careful with because, you know, you treat it wrong or even if you treat it the right way and do everything like you're supposed to, he could still end up back on the injured list with back pain. Uh, so I think, like you said, to maximize his, you know, potential with this Reds team for the next three or so months is, you know, maybe he is the best option is to be out of the bullpen and uh, be the best lefty out of the bullpen. Um, and I think that that kind of dovetails with what you were starting to get into with Scooter before I so rudely cut you off. But it's the same larger story, which is the Reds still look better than their record is, but their record still isn't good. And with one trade deadline this year, and that trade deadline being July 31st, which is um, what? That's 1730. It's 48 days away. It's seven weeks away, just under seven weeks away. The Reds have to decide how much – they want to win post deadline to end of season this year versus what, how much they want to manage the quote unquote assets, which I hate using that word, but managing where they're spending the tens of millions of dollars they've got in payroll 
or whether or not it's time to start cashing in what they can get for some of the pieces that aren't signed beyond this year. And when the Reds went into their full rebuild this past winter, they brought in a lot of players who aren't under contract after this year. Um, you know, we mentioned Wood, we mentioned Scooter, um, we, Yasiel Puig, Zach Duke, uh, Tanner Rourke, um, David Hernandez even. They've got so many pieces that they've got to figure out what the last 60-ish games of this season mean to them, whether or not they have a chance to actually make a playoff push, whether or not prioritizing winning 82 versus 77 games is that big of a deal, or whether or not they need to start moving some of these players, even if they don't seem to have maximized their trade value, just so A, you can get something in return, and B, so that you can get players that are going to be around beyond this season some playing time. And I think that's where the scooter question comes in because uh, it seems like he might be as close to two weeks away from being back on the big league roster. Um, Scooter plays second base. And the fact of the matter is, while missing him in theory from the lineup has been a big deal, uh, the most – playing time Derek Dietrich has gotten all season has been at second base and Derek Dietrich has not been the problem for these Cincinnati Reds um nor has Jose Iglesias who has taken over at shortstop for the struggling Jose Peraza who also profiled as a second baseman um what the Reds are going to do when Scooter gets back is going to be a very very interesting question because uh both of who their best pieces are I mentioned Jose Iglesias also a free agent at the end of this year um which players the Reds start looking to cash in on or sign to extensions or not, because they've got so many moving parts. Um, or if I cut you off earlier, what are, what are your thoughts on what the Reds can do or should do when Scooter is back healthy here in two, maybe three weeks? And in theory, the Scooter we've seen from the last two seasons. Uh, you know, it's funny you asked me that because I think right before you jumped in, I was about to say, I have no idea what the Reds are going to do <laughs> when Scooter gets back. Um, I mean, they are just so crowded, especially in the middle infield. You've got uh, you've got Jose Iglesias, you've got Jose Peraza, you've got Derek Dietrich who can play uh, who can play second, uh, and then now you've got Scooter, and you also have Dietrich who can play in the outfield. Uh, Alex Blandino, yeah, Blandino <laughs> is, is back rehabbing in Louisville. Um, you know, so you have so many pieces that they have to figure out what to do with, and I mean. The one person who hasn't been hitting the ball all season is Yasiel Puig, um, and I I'm a Yasiel Puig stan. Like I've I watched him when he was in Chattanooga, first coming up with the Dodgers, um, and it was a blast. And I was thrilled that the Reds traded for him because he is so much fun to watch. But he's also the one constant who hasn't produced this year. Um, and you know, do you? pull the plug on him like you were kind of saying earlier, or do you, uh, you know, kind of work out some kind of platoon where they're all going to get equal playing time and, you know, try and maximize what you can out of those guys. Um, And then as far as like, do you maximize on their trade value or do you kind of just see how many games you can win? Um, You know, that's tough to, it's tough to say because the last three or four seasons we've, all kind of been in the mindset like the Reds need to maximize on these guys trade value don't wait and trade people like you did with Johnny Cueto or all Chapman um, and you know end up with lesser pieces because of that um, however like with a fan base who's tired of losing 
and even in the locker room, that makes a huge difference. Um, seeing guys get traded away who have been playing well, and then it's almost like the the front office is throwing in the towel. Like I'm sure with with that team, that takes a huge toll. I mean, Joey Votto hasn't been on a winning team since 2013, um, and he's seen guys <laughs> traded away every single year since then. Um, you know, you do you wonder if the Reds just kind of say like, "Look, we're going to stick with these guys." If we get a good offer, then we'll pull that trigger, but we're going to try and win as many games as we can, see if we can go on a run. Yeah, you know, I, I think in theory, if the Reds are three games under 500 at the July 31st trade deadline and within seven games of the division or five, five and a half games of the wild card, which is roughly where they've been all season, um, if they don't trade players, that means they're hoping that they can still get hot enough to, to win. Um, if they're hoping they can still get hot enough to win, hoping that Yasiel Puig finally gets hot is a very reasonable hope to dovetail with hoping the team gets hot because the guy has a track record of being a phenomenally hot, phenomenally good player for long stretches of his career. And he doesn't look broken this year. He looks off, but not broken. Um, and so there's a part of me that says, hey, give him every last minute you have to be that guy who just rips off uh, 10 home runs in 12 games and electric defense and ignites the fan base and ignites the rest of his teammates because he can do that and he can and you want to give him every opportunity to do that. Um, but the fact of the matter is you also don't want to waste an entire season and get nothing from him and then get nothing from him when he leaves also. And when you've got other players that, you know, and we haven't even mentioned Philip Irvin, uh, Scott Shevler, God rest his soul is going to be better than what he's been since being back in triple a um, the Reds have other options for the outfield. And you know, you've got Nick Senzel, you've got Jesse Winker, you've got two cornerstones already there. Um, Derek Dietrich's under team control for next year as well. Uh, uh, Jose Peraza has been playing in the outfield some as also. There are too many moving parts, I think, for them to to continue to just cross their fingers that he's going to get hot when the rest of the team hasn't been hot enough to account and to accommodate for him as well. So uh, that's one of those weird, weird scenarios that's going to be very, very interesting to see. Uh, Tony, what are your thoughts on what the Reds go for when uh, when Scooter well, finally gets back? With, uh, Puig, you know, Arf mentioned uh, a little bit about, you know, the, the idea of possibly developing some kind of platoon situation. Uh, Puig is a reverse platoon hitter. Like, you can't even really devise an offense around well – we right. had Scooter hit against right-handed pitching and Puig hit against left-handed pitching because then, you know, you're still shortchanging Puig in a, in a, in a way because of just the way he, he's stacked up against lefties over his career versus righties. And, you know, yeah, Puig is just so difficult to pin down right now because of the fact that he's, as far as his contact goes, you know, his stat ca- on his stat cast page, his... Uh, expected slugging percentage, his expected batting average, uh, the the quality of contact he's making this year has pretty much lined up with his career. He's just swinging all the goddamn time. He just swings at everything, <laughs> yeah. and it's resulted in him striking out way more than he used to and walking way less than he used to, and that's sort of you know the entire difference right now. Yeah, he's he 
he's gotten a little bit unlucky as far as his balls in play uh, have been. You know, we've seen a lot of just absolute rockets he's hit into into the outfield uh, that have found a glove, but he's also just swinging all the damn time, and you know, just just seems like he just is intent on swinging his way out of this slump and. Uh, you know, you look at the other guys on the Reds roster that uh, Scooter might take some playing time from. Yeah, Dietrich is uh, not only the the you know immediate second base option. He's also a left-handed hitter who's right now uh, hitting exactly the way you would expect or hope, I should say, uh, Scooter to hit. Uh, Jesse Winker in left field. He. He has such a strong pedigree of being able to put the bat on the ball and draw a lot of walks. Jesse Winker's been terrible this year at the plate. You know, he, he's still only getting on base 31% of the time. So, um, you know, on one hand, you look at the way that this roster is constructed and you say, you know, they're, they're, it's tough to find a odd an odd man out uh, who has the right combination of Poor performance uh, and just name recognition, pedigree, all of that. But it's also, you know, along those same lines, it's not that difficult to find places on this roster where if you put in uh, Scooter Jeanette, you couldn't see them see him immediately being an improvement. So I think I think that's sort of where they're going to find themselves at least in the, over the first few weeks, is just kind of giving different guys days off and working working around this sort of rotation. I, I think I think that begs the question, though, and I guess we'll we'll, we'll wrap on this when I get your thoughts on it. But is the time right to trade Derek Dietrich? Um, you look up at what the Reds got him for, which was nothing. The Marlins, who are the Marlins, who are fucking a terrible franchise, just cut him because they didn't want to pay him $4 million. Uh, the dude has been a revelation offensively. Um, and when you look at his road numbers, even when he was with the Marlins, everything suggested, hey, you get him out of Marlins Stadium and you actually put him on a team where people care. Uh, he's good. He's great against right-handed pitching. He's got great road numbers over the last couple of years. Uh, and it's all playing out exactly like that. You look at the other pieces that the Marlins moved – in this massive teardown and what they've all done once they got out of Marlins Park and out of the Marlins. Marcelo Zuna, injured last year, much better this year. Christian Yelich, obviously one of the three best players in baseball the last two years. JT Realmuto has been uh, phenomenal for the Phillies as well. And then you look at Dietrich and think, okay, He's got the stigma of being a guy who was non-tendered by the Marlins last year, but I think he's done a good enough job so far this season to suggest, hey, that was the Marlins' fuck-up. That was not an indication on who I am, especially if you look back at some of his underlying stats of the last couple seasons. He's got a year of team control left after this. Um, Is he the biggest trade chip the Reds have right now? both A, because of how the rest of the roster shakes out with having Scooter coming back, having Jose Peraza potentially being a long-term option at second base, having second base depth, having the ability to maybe approach Jose Iglesias about a contract extension for the next two years to be the shortstop. Um, Dietrich provides more positional flexibility than Scooter Jeanette did when the Reds were in theory shopping him or maybe extending him the last two years. Dietrich seems to me like the perfect kind of piece 
for almost any team at the trade deadline looking for a bargain offensive addition who has some team control. Um, obviously, it would take away the instant fan favorite from the 2019 season, um, but it would still kind of free up that log jam of what the heck do the Reds do when they get everybody else back. Uh, is is Derek Dietrich the guy you trade? You know, for the long term of the of the franchise, do they cash in on him? Uh, instead of flipping Puig for whatever they can get. Uh, Tony, yeah, what do you think, man? that's a really tough one because you'd make a very good case for uh, for him getting traded, but, but you also use, I don't know, you use the term, bar, you know, a bargain for another team. And I don't, I, again, you know, this the Reds are in a position where they're out, they, their run differential, I think, is still the fourth best in the National League. They... Well, sorry, sorry. I say bargain because he's only making what, like two million dollars this year. So, like, any 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 payroll can stomach trading for him, regardless yeah, of what the prospect. Yeah, and and is. I and I still just, you know, I I look at the Reds and how the 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 position in the standings that they that their run run differential says they should occupy. The Reds might uh, win seventy two games this year. They you know they they've given us every reason to believe that they they likely will but i, I you know <laughs> because dietrich is under team control for another year you know he's even if he isn't um even if he is not uh a 961 ops hitter over the next year and a half uh which i i doubt that he i doubt that he is uh you know, he's still a valuable player. He's still a useful player for a team that, you know, if the Reds were kind of sort of hoping to maybe contend in 2019, then they're definitely hoping to contend in 2020. They definitely want to have the pieces in place for a run next year. And, you know, it, it all comes back to, you know, the same thing with trading. Do they trade Tanner Roark and do, do they trade David Hernandez? Do they trade all these guys who uh, have only some short-term uh, team control. Uh, I, I just, I worry about what the, what the return for Derek Dietrich would be. You know, if, if, if the Reds are going to get another. Versus the upsides of, of yes, having him around yeah, next yeah, year. Yeah, you know, right. They're going to get another Eugenio yeah. Suarez or Anthony DiScalfani or Luis Castillo for him. Great. Yeah. Ship him away. We're gonna take uh, those, you know, five years of the useful big leaguer over over two. But uh, if they're gonna get a flyer, if they're gonna get a uh, you know an, an A ball kid with if they get the ret- if they get the return they got when they flipped Joe Randa, uh, yeah. what's the point? You know, right? Um, R, what do you think, yeah, man? I uh, I come up think on the same lines as Tony there as. Um, flexible as he is kind of all over the diamond and the way he has been hitting the ball, you know, even if he isn't the 961 OPS, like Tony mentioned um, with as many guys coming off the books next season, like he's still valuable to the Reds. Um, you know, it's different if it's 2016 or 2017 and you've got a guy like Dietrich that's knocking the cover off the ball. Who's also really cheap. Then yeah, you could probably go ahead and shop him and see what you can get from him when you know you're still a few years away. Um, but, you know, they're looking to contend right now and definitely looking to contend next season. So why not keep a guy like that who 
provides a lot of value for the team. No, I, I totally get that. It totally makes a lot of sense. But I think because there's that that fine line argument, which is that uh, so many players have come off the Marlins and gone to other franchises and just hit the ground running. Um, it really makes me wonder if there are teams out there that are looking more and more at what that franchise discarded and giving a little bit more credence to evaluating them where they are right now. And, you know, <laughs> It's funny. It's also funny to think about it uh, in this current context because uh, for the better part of the last five, six years, a player who only had one more year of team control uh, was the player the Reds should be trading. You know, I mean, that's that's when Todd Frazier got moved. Um, that's when we wished that so many other the, of the pitchers got moved before they entered their final year of team control. Um, just one year at age 30, uh, it's one of those things where you look up and say, okay, well, maybe the middle infield for the Reds could be – Jose Peraza and Jose Iglesias next year and their outfields, uh, Nick Senzel, Jesse Winker, and Taylor Trammell. And then you suddenly don't miss Derek Dietrich as much as I think you would the moment he got traded this year. But it's uh, it's certainly going to be interesting because I feel like the, Red, the, the Reds are this team that's got like seven different internet poker tables open at the same time and are playing all these different hands. And depending on how one shakes out, they might have more money to make the other other move. Um, but they could go in so many different directions that um, I'm excited to see this team play the next seven weeks because as they're currently constituted and with the players they're expecting to have back soon, it's a good team. It's a good roster that should be better than it is, and I want to see that play out. But the Reds could also go in so many different directions that I'm just intrigued to wake up and watch the news about them every morning um, just to see which way they've kind of tried to tip their hand because uh, there's going to be a lot of moving parts between now and, uh, and July 31st. So um, I guess on that note, we will call it for tonight. We went a little longer than we normally do, but it was all good, good stuff. Um, I guess uh, you can read us at redreporter.com. That's where we turn all of our words into uh, typed out uh, stuff that you can read on your smartphones while you stare at them and they melt your brain. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Red Reporter, uh, on Facebook at Red Reporter Fans, which I'm still occasionally linking stuff to, even though I'm trying to avoid Facebook like the plague. Um, and soon you'll be able to find some of Tony's work at Fangraphs.com, and I'm going to keep hyping that because I'm excited to sell for you, buddy. Um, so any uh, any last thoughts? Uh, Jose Peraza is three months almost three months to the day younger than uh, Nick Travieso. That's my, that's my <laughs> tidbit for the end of this, this special evening. Uh, which means they're roughly the same age as Dilson Herrera, who I believe is also that same uh, golden 20, 24, 25 year. Oh man. Old prospects. Prospect love dies hard. So, uh, well, good stuff. Well, for Arf and for Tony, uh, this uh, this will be it for episode five of the RR podcast, and we will uh, catch up with you all uh, at some point next week. Uh, well, thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks.